Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Aneta Wanemko, Portfolio Manager of Fidelity Global Consumer Industries Fund, joins host Pamela Ritchie today to discuss consumer trends this holiday season and as 2023 wraps up. She says there is a noticeable trend for online shopping, a habit formed by many during the pandemic. But Aneta adds, despite the rise of online shopping, consumers still desire the in-store experience. The hybrid trend reflects a dynamic and evolving consumer landscape. She says consumers are making choices based on the type of product, with routine items favoring online purchases and more experiential products driving in-store shopping. She says this in turn influences her investment strategy as she evaluates companies based on how they align with consumer preferences and mindsets. This podcast was recorded on November 23, 2023. I wonder if you can begin by telling us, you know, a little bit about this holiday season. Uh, are we still shopping as much, less, more? Are we still post-COVID? How would you sort of rate this season compared to, say, the last two or three? I think having gone through the year that we have just gone, we all need holiday. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's that's one thing that I think is, is sure and clear. Uh, so obviously another difficult year, another year where um, everyone has been expecting recession, where we have issue with interest rates, putting lots of pressure on everyone, not only the consumer, um, but a year in which um, things kind of held up. <laughs> I know, surprisingly, things have surprisingly. been quite resilient is our yes, favorite word. Yes. Yes, they have been, they have been. And I think what is happening, obviously, with interest rates where they have gone, we have a situation where the consumer has to make choices. And the choices, um, like in a way, are imposed on the consumer. Mm -hmm. Because someone who maybe has been thinking about moving to a bigger house and has locked in a very favorable, as it looks today, mortgage, Mm -hmm. cannot do it anymore because not at the level where rates are today. And in this situation, I think consumers might be revisiting their priorities. If we are not going to move a house, we are, we are not going to save for the higher equity in the bigger house, then maybe we'll just enjoy life. Right. Interesting. So, so we're kind of back to the situation where the consumers are still spending. They are going on holidays. They are trying to treat themselves. But obviously, they are pockets of the economy like housing or maybe cars, pockets that are dependent on interest rates, where the impact of the macro has been quite, quite, quite clear. So tell us a little bit about what you've seen over the course, again, the last couple of years of of returning to consumers, returning to buy in person or just sticking with online. What, what, how are we buying at this stage? What's the mix? Well, consumer is buying in, in the most convenient way. Okay. So depending on maybe habits that have been kind of established through COVID, uh, a lot of people have moved to buying more online. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it, I think in North America, maybe it's not so common yet, but 
it doesn't cross my mind to go and do grocery shoppings myself. It arrives two times a week in front of the house and, and, and it's right. done for me. Um, and it's a habit and I'm not going to change. Of course, I go on the weekends to like a nice local market and I pick a few things, but I'm not going to carry the whole lot myself. Uh, so there are habits that have been formed, um, but then consumers want to go out. They want to enjoy a shopping experience when and where it's enjoyable. Uh, so there are companies and brands and retailers that benefit from the fact that consumers want to enjoy um, the experience of, of being in a store. So we have a mix, and I mm. think that's that's just normal. Uh, it's so interesting, and it, it, it's sort of back to a version of um, normalcy because because the options are there at least tell us a little bit about what you look for in a company so they would be creating some version of an experience for the consumer what else so my 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 investment mantra is really to try and think like the consumer and and what consumers want they want quality they want convenience they want differentiated products they want to feel like the money they are spending is giving them some kind of pleasure or maybe it's solving some kind of issues that they have whether it's health or whether maybe it's fitness or some other issues that they have so it's really trying to be in the mind of the consumer and and thinking how do they spend their time and money so um we mentioned beauty products we mentioned sneakers nice handbags and so on um and we'll go to all of those because I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by how much um my little girls at young ages talk about face facial care and you know everything to do with skincare. but but what about the sort of broader wellness discussion um when you think of wellness and the consumer is it buying certain things is it a way of of being in terms of buying experiences um more spas or what does wellness mean in terms of an investment for you i think consumer with all the issues that are thrown at us we are kind of living in the age of anxiety and i think we are trying to kind of compensate that with what we do with our money so yeah, maybe little girls, they are already into makeup and trying to look nicer. Masks. Yeah. Masks, <laughs> kind of more beautiful. That makes them feel better because they can control that. And then you look in the mirror and they talk with their friends and it's like a little self-care. And there's really nothing wrong with that. It's not about vanity. It's about trying to feel better. And I think that is happening not only to little girls. Yes. It's happening to everyone. Big girls too. Yeah. And exactly. everyone. And yeah. boys. We and all boys, need yeah. a bit of pampering and, and self-care. And and you know, hopefully um as as medicine progresses, we live much longer life and we want to live them in better shape than maybe the generations before. So it all uh, kind of it's 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 also a level of education. Consumers, right. I think we continue to educate ourselves, uh, and you know it could be not very sophisticated just reading the uh, reading the stuff on the internet, but we know so much more today. What kind of vitamins you need? What kind of treatments you can have? Everyone is an expert because we all kind of can easily access the information, and I think that impacts the way people spend their money. So when you look at uh, that feeling and and that yearning, perhaps. Um, how does does it cross over at all with healthcare, for instance? Or where where do you have sort of crossovers? Where where do you come at wellness in order to put money behind it? Okay. 
so in the fund, you will have quite a bit of exposure to the beauty industry, which I think is, is quite instrumental. And, 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 and this is a trend. It's not just, just something that has happened through COVID. This taking care, looking better and, and enjoying kind of the outdoor as well. Um, at the same time, obviously, in the US, but in many other countries through the world, we have had and continue to have an issue with weight management. Um, and, you know, I, I read a very interesting study, I think, done by Harvard, that only in 15% of cases, people were able to manage their weight through exercise and diet. The rest, 85%, are unable to manage the issue of obesity and being overweight. So here, science is coming up with interesting solutions, GLP-1. Um, and here we have a crossover between the healthcare companies that are now coming. Manjaro has become a brand that people talk about on, 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 on social media. Um, and it's because it kind of crosses from this kind of self-care and improving your life into science and healthcare. And I think there's a lot of that happening. Uh, in the wider economy and a wider market. And I'm trying to find ideas that, that, that allow me to benefit from that. And they're around the world. Tell us a little bit about the, the, the mandate of the fund. So, so it's global. We mentioned yes. that. It's, you've got that in it. Tell us a little bit more about how you would describe it to those who would say, okay, where does your fund fit for me as an investor? So it's a fund that allows the investor, especially someone who maybe invests in Canadian equity, where from what I know about the Canadian market, you have a lot of, a lot of financials, well-managed banks, you have a lot of resources, some industrials, but there isn't that much in terms of consumer goods. There isn't that much in terms of media. The kind of consumer-facing technology that you'll find in, 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 on the West Coast in the US. And this is a fund that is trying to find companies that have really good execution, well-managed uh, spending on the products, the services that they are developing so those get better. And I'm trying to find them all over the world. So for example, when we go to Europe, I find the best kind of high-end consumer goods product in France and Italy. There are lots of good ones there. Yes, they have the heritage, the consumer <laughs> yeah. understands where they are coming from, amazing pricing power. Switzerland watches, there's exposure to that as well. We go to the US, we get the best tech and the best uh, media. Healthcare, again, Denmark, US. Right. Um, so, so, so you can't, you, only when you look globally and you really try to find uh, the best companies globally that give you exposure to certain trends, um, I think you get the full investment opportunity set. So would you say that most of the companies that you invest in, are they, it sounds, if they're global, I'm assuming they're large cap. I mean, they're big, these are big companies. These are not necessarily regional players. Is that fair? Yeah. So the fund is a mix between the large companies because they really are best in class. Yeah. They have a lot of resources. It's not easy to manage them. And I really try to identify those who have groomed the team through their own ranks and are really well run. Um, but there's also an element of smaller companies on the other side, which are innovative and very fast moving. And they are the ones that okay. are building the businesses of the future. There isn't so much in the kind of mid-size space because I, I am afraid and I can see it as well that a lot of them are kind of stuck in this dilemma of being 
large, so complex to manage, but not big enough to have the best in class and being able to pay the kind of best in class packages. So it's a kind of a bit of a barrel between the large best in class and then the new and up and coming. That's fascinating. Can you give us a sense of, in terms of positioning right now, can you give us a sense of where there's some overweight, how you, how you look at positioning at this moment, I guess, with interest rates and all of the macro backdrops that you mentioned? How is your positioning looking now? Um, so it's, it's, it's a tricky environment because mm. obviously interest rates uh, going up create uh, also a tricky environment for investors. Growth, uh, high quality growth companies, they are not performing well in this environment because the discounting mechanism doesn't help the future value of the business. But I believe that um, the changes and what we are seeing, they are only becoming more powerful and the opportunities for a lot of those businesses are only becoming more attractive. So here we have a situation between the opportunities being there and being maybe even better than they were a few years ago. Because um, they've worked out perhaps their debt and refinance during the pandemic, is, have, is that part of it? Yes, they have very strong balance sheets, right. so their competitive position is better against those who have to borrow or have a junk bond bonds that they have to refund. But at the same time, they are also better positioned to use AI technology and things that are moving really fast and creating even a bigger gap. Um, so I think we have a situation exactly like that where the companies with with growth opportunities, mm -hmm. those growth opportunities are becoming maybe even more interesting because they are there's less and less companies that are able to benefit from that. And then on the other hand, the higher interest rates mean that the growth is being discounted at a higher rate. Right. So right. it's a kind of environment where, but I believe that owning those high quality companies that execute well is going to pay off. Uh, there's little I can do about the level of interest rates, but I can try and figure out how fast and what the opportunity is. And I think over time, it really should uh, play out in, in a positive way. Do you think that um, AI will affect everything, but within sort of the consumer space that you're looking at, which will cross over into certain other areas, is the biggest opportunity there, at least on a good side of things, that supply lines will be enhanced by AI? Is that is that sort of the big ticket in there? Um, I think that is, that's one of the opportunities there are many, but consumer cons consumption is a very wasteful activity. There's right. a lot of wastage that happens at many levels, whether it's manufacturing, and I know the cuts when you make a dress, how much material is wasted, or planning. Um, the biggest cost to a lot of retailers is the discounting, the fact that they have ordered too much, that they, they have the wrong inventory and at the wrong time. This is the biggest cost. And when you use data, when you, when you start um, make, putting much more kind of AI into it, the opportunity to, to, becoming, to become much more efficient is there. Um, and then there's the opportunity to also listen better to what the consumers say, to get the feedback really quickly and adjust and correct if the company was going the wrong way. But to be able to do that, you really need to be able to execute. And it's not so easy. That's why I think the gap between the strong and the ones that execute and those who are struggling is just only going to open. Tell us about the importance of brands. It's always, it's always going to be very important. Um, sort of who owns the brand, they own their 
IP probably at the same time. Tell us a bit about that. Do the brands just get stronger from here? Is there lots of room for new brands to come in? Where are we in that? Interesting question. And obviously a question I spend a lot of time thinking about. And what I find fascinating is the longevity of brands. Mm. Uh, you know, something that you have heard of as a child, you've seen your parents using, maybe you've seen products on TV or you keep seeing them. Um, there's a very high staying power to the big brands. Right. And, and, and repeatedly, I kind of find myself in a situation where I find a portfolio, a company of powerful brands. And maybe something has gone wrong. Maybe the management has misexecuted, um, and a couple of profit warnings. The investors completely give up on it, and then something changes. Someone comes up. All of a sudden, the brand is back. The value of that company is multiples of what it was before. So, in a way, the fact that brands have the staying power in our kind of maybe hearts or brains, whatever. Mm -hmm. It creates an opportunity for good management to either revive the brands that may be faltered. Interesting. Or for those who keep going and executing really well to basically get from strength to strength. Um, we see a lot of new brands coming, but the staying power is very limited. What, what would and you give it, you know, in any, say, five-year period, how many brands stick? Is there is there anything in there as sort of a metric? Because as you say, it does seem like sort of the older brands stick around, they evolve if they're good at it, yes. but you don't sort of see 10 new ones every year, unless so, you know, I'm wrong. I don't know you what. know, we've seen new brands, but in new markets. Netflix, new markets. powerful brand, okay. and I have been an investor in the company for a long time, but it created almost a market for itself. It created a sector, practically. Exactly, yeah. exactly. While, uh, well, obviously Apple, but again, it has created, and today's is a very powerful brand, but when you think about the more traditional space, whether it's spirits or, I don't know, luxury goods or shoes, there are some new brands, like on running in, 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 in footwear and, and doing quite well, uh, but at the same time, Nike, Adidas, they are still there and they are still the dominant brand. And they still have pricing power. And they still totally have the pricing, pricing. exactly. Um, tell us about food and what there have been, I mean, nonstop question marks in, in the UK around the world of food inflation, of struggling for people struggling to, to catch up to that, to actually feed themselves. That said, there is a very expensive arm of food and wellness and nutritional food that seems to have great staying power. How, how do you look at that? How do you invest in that? Um, so again, in this space, what I am um, trying to identify, I, I've been looking at a lot of smaller companies, um, whether it's plant-based or, uh, I don't know, growing meat out of cells. I, I've met private companies doing that. But at the end of the day, um, the big companies, and there's a handful of them, um, some of them have decided to, to position and transform their portfolio into much more kind of wellness, nutrition, um, metabolic health, if you will. Um, and whether it's Nestle or Danone, which are both in the portfolio, for them, this is how they think about the industry. It's a very interesting industry because it's very fragmented. Mm. Um, and the application of science, we are still very early. There is actually much more research that has been done on what kind of food cows need to eat to kind of be healthier and maybe produce less gas, etc., than how to help humans 
in right. terms of their metabolic health. So I think the opportunity is vast, but I think it will be the big companies that do that. And then they, there are probably some new emerging companies, but to be honest, it's very hard to identify and find winners on the kind of other side. And then you have a lot of losers. You have a lot of companies which the kind of big food, which has been all about packaged food and the innovation has been minimal and it's all about sugar, which they've been reducing, but it's still not very healthy. And as we are seeing with, with the obesity kind of situation and, and, and what people who have been on the GLP-1 drugs do, it changes the way they consume. They mm. lose cravings. They actually end up eating green salads and protein. And, and, and crave that instead. Exactly. Isn't yeah. that interesting? It's That's just so fascinating how that But I think this is where works. science is moving us. Um, a little bit on sort of the pricing power discussion, because it, it takes us back to how sort of touched on the macro, um, who's holding a very expensive um, mortgage that, you know, is sitting at these interest rates at this point. It's sort of a smaller basket of what they think they can spend. So the brands have to do what to continue their pricing power? Like it, every brand is going to be a bit different, but what is it they've turned up a notch to make sure they hold on to that pricing power? I think one thing that's very powerful is loyalty. Interesting. And there is a group of companies, for example, Lululemon, with, mm -hmm. uh, with, with, with the loyalty and, and making kind of opening their stores to make them into yoga studios, having the consumer feel they are part of a community as opposed to just a transactional uh, situation. And I think the, the loyalty schemes, and you see it in many sectors, whether it's Marriott or other hotel groups with their loyalty, or, or whether it's the subscription business of Netflix, where it is also some mm. kind of form of loyalty. I think you just need to, to, to excite and, and give consumer more. And then I think you can ask for more as well in terms of payment, but you need to be relevant to them. Right, and, and within that relevancy, um, calculation, things that are, I don't know, I was going to say throw away fashion, you could say it for food as well, that create lots of garbage. Um, again, is the consumer willing to pay for something that, that does not create those things, that doesn't create the problems of the world, essentially? Is there is, is there a pricing power in there? I think it's more a necessity and more um, cost of staying in business in the future. I'm not talking about now, but like when you think about your daughters, about the young generations, they really expect a lot. Yes. The environment is very important for them and they expect companies to do what they need to do, to do the right thing. Right. Uh, so hopefully in future, we will have the circular packaging where you can return your pot back to L'Oreal and maybe get a new pot and pay just mm -hmm. for the contents of it. Um, and, and I think this is where things are moving, but I think it's, it's again going to the point we've discussed, the large companies with their capabilities and big budgets, they can move towards those targets of reducing waste. While if you're a mid-sized, maybe not that well-merged company, you're kind of stuck in the way of doing things that might not be right for the future because the consumer of the future will demand I think so. that in order in order to spend money there. That's in order to transact. Yes. In order to transact. Fascinating. I think um, Christmas, holiday season, uh, will retailers be fine? Will we, will we sort of, how will it match up, do you think? 
as always, it depends. I know. We want the crystal ball to see sort of how some this of them works. will do just fine, and some of them will struggle. Yes. And I think, I think the positive thing is that um, the fact that that we are in a difficult situation and the impact of interest rates is expected by everyone and has been expected in terms of impact on consumption, that made the retailers very careful when they've been ordering. So the level of inventories, I think, is going to be much better managed than, than it was the case a few months or a year ago. Um, so that will create at least more healthy situation in terms of discounting from the perspective, not the customers, but the retailers. <laughs> Uh, so I think that should be helpful. And I think the consumer is still in a good shape. The labor market is mm -hmm. very healthy. And, and, and maybe the decisions about not buying a new car or not buying a new house will allow people to spend a bit more on themselves or on, on the loved one. Do you think um, there's been a lot of actually not bad movies lately? Uh, we've been in the theaters more than we have. And, and then also sort of a return to books. These just seem like small little things. Are they ever investable or, you know, do people buy gifts of books or, or do we roll back to that or not really? It's, it's online from here. I think yeah, a book is always a great it's very, it's I like getting per, a book, but yeah. Very personal as well. Um, but there isn't a way to invest in that. Right, there's no way to invest the, in this that. Is all, I think private equity has acquired most of the of the businesses. Right. Uh, and, and, and unless you have the best sellers, it's not an easy business as well. Uh, because managing the long tail is actually quite quite difficult. While movies, Netflix is well, <laughs> does it for you. <laughs> There's no point in doing it. Yes. What would be on your Christmas list of say for a small a, a small family gift list, like perhaps a grandfather? A, you don't need to give us necessarily the brands, but the type of thing. I'm just curious. What's of interest to you? Um, I think I would, uh, I mean, books are always yeah, a great, a great um, though you have to tread delicately because you never know. <laughs> you don't want to give the wrong message to someone and they interpret it wrong. Yeah, so that's a danger. You know, we are, I think for what has become, I think people, especially with giving gifts, getting, I don't know, another pair of socks or another jumper or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think people want that anymore. And then you're stuck with that thing forever. You feel bad about throwing it away. I think giving people experiences, it's a good idea. So whether it's a card, I don't know, Starbucks cards to go and, and, and have coffee for a month or whether it's maybe a subscription to Netflix for yeah. someone who doesn't have it or maybe a ticket to the movies or maybe a spa treatment. I think gifts that kind of dissolve themselves are better than, than the material things that, that kind of... My cousin used to tell his children, only give me something that you know I will use in a year. Otherwise, I don't want it. Yes, yes. <laughs> or said that we have these different things. Um, so just take us back a little bit to, to the global nature of the fund itself. We talk about interest rates right now. We also talk about sort of the situation of economies right now in Canada versus the US versus Europe versus, you know, recession signals in one and interest rates potentially continuing in others. Is it a very fragmented uh, story for you to invest right now? Global companies can be everywhere, but they may not be doing well in every market due to different economic situations. What's the global picture look like for the global consumer? Very differentiated, actually. Uh, we are in a situation where in China, the consumer is facing a difficult job market, deflation, 
and, and housing market that has been struggling for years now. So very different. It's almost like the Chinese consumer is somewhere at the bottom of the cycle. Um, and, and we should start seeing a recovery. While in the US, we have been at this kind of late cycle for a very long time. Um, and, and here is the opposite. We have um, a healthy job market. Uh, we have inflation. And, and, and the consumer kind of reallocating spending to different things. Um, so, and, and then in Europe, we have situation where the consumer in some markets is quite weak. German, uh, Germans are always very cautious and in the situation where there's so much to worry about, they, they act the way they usually do, they are mm -hmm. cautious. Um, so we really see a situation very, very different points in the cycle, but at the same time, um, because of social media, because the trends, also global companies kind of take care of that, um, a lot of things happen globally as well. If something becomes popu popular, it does spread quite quickly. And so if it's a good product, mm. it sells. That's fascinating. Okay, what would you like to leave with everyone? Just sort of a, on the fund, maybe on the global consumer, what, what's a couple of thoughts you'd like to leave with investors today? Um, I think I think those companies, the kind of global consumer brands, um, when one looks over decades, they they've proven to be really amazing investments and amazing 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 place to to, to put uh, savings. Um, and now, because of the macro situation, they are going through lots of whether it's derating or maybe some have made mistakes and they miss quarters and the stock prices go down a lot. I think we are really living at a time where we have pretty interesting opportunities to find some of those compounders that have done it for decades and they will continue to do it for decades. And I think it's an opportunity to pick and choose and find them. Uh, so I think in a way, it's almost like a candy store with interesting, yeah. uh, with interesting opportunities. But obviously, when it feels uncomfortable and when the situation doesn't look great, this is the time to invest and this is the time to be brave. Fantastic. It's lovely to meet you, Anessa, in person. Thank you for joining us here today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.